I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It is great to have you. I'm being joined today by Witch Zaftig. How are you, my dear? I'm quite well. How are you? Super duper. It is August 16th, and I have a great show for you this... I We have a great show for you this week. Uh, we're going to start it off with the Nine Cents letters. Uh, this individual sent us... Obviously, it was one of the Nine Cents uh, contest uh, entries. In, entry? What's the word for that? Entireies? <laughs> entrances? <laughs> I think entrances is good. Okay. Yeah, entrances. It's one of the <laughs> show how stupid I really am. I don't know words. I do not speak English as good as they do. Um, anyway, this individual sent us a really long, uh, essentially nonsense letters, and we're going to address it uh, based around the idea of seeing other. Oh, I don't know. Other pseudo-Satanists and how to deal with them and uh, his specific example of dealing with it. And then next, we're going to do a little something different with Heather Height. This is episode 10, News is for Ruse. And then, of course, which Zaftig is in the house, episode 12. What do we have in store this week? So today we're going to go back to school and I'm going to provide a little bit of Bible Study 101. Wow. All right, kids, it's time for Sunday school. It's Sunday after all. Let's learn a little Jesus. <laughs> you yeah. wouldn't expect that from a satanic podcast, but um, <laughs> we'll see what happens there. We might That's burst into flames. It. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> you never know. All right, uh, so so a quick couple quick notes here. The Nine Cents Listener Survey Contest has completed. There are three lucky winners selected. Uh, let me just say really quickly, thank you everyone who submitted an entry. We appreciate uh, all of the feedback we got, and I've shared all of it <clears throat> Excuse me, with the other uh, contributing uh, hosts to Nine Cents. So, uh, obviously your emails are there. I don't know if they're going to reach out to you in any way, but they have the information. It's out of my hands, <laughs> or at least they will have all of it. They have some of it right now. Um, it's kind of out of my hands from this point, but we got some really great feedback and we're going to use that to make this podcast better. Uh, those three individuals have already reached out via email and social media. Uh, so respond with your addresses and your shirt sizes, and we will, uh, send you some t-shirts um okay so we just finished a get to know the voices of nine cents with you which is Zafdig. i had a yeah. lot of fun did you enjoy that i did enjoy that yeah it was, it was uh, great yeah a lot of people uh, uh i just gotten a lot of great feedback from that um oh, good. it's nice being able to see obviously the faces of the voices that you hear every week assuming you right. tune in every week <laughs> or those people that binge watch like insanely like i have i have people from around the world sending me like uh by season their impressions of the podcast so and by season wow. i just mean by year so they went yeah. year to year and they just sent me no the kidding. year four uh review so wow. <laughs> they're almost caught up but it's really interesting because i don't think about this i 
I never think about the episode after I've published it. Like, I right. never go back and, and re-listen re to anything. I don't, it's completely off my radar because I'm obviously focusing on my family and my profession, but also I'm kind of planning the next one and what's coming in the future. So I never look back. It's really nice when I can get a sense of uh, the growth of the podcast, the growth of the contributing hosts through other people and you sort of vicariously uh, through their commentary. So that's always a really special treat. Um, I guess I should send that stuff to you guys too. <laughs> so you I, I'm, I'm a binge listener, so I may not uh, be caught up for like a month, but then one Sunday when I'm cleaning, like a, you know, yeah. like in a four or five hour span, like I'll just listen to a month's worth. So, so I am also one of those, <laughs> <laughs> even on something I contribute to, yeah. I, I tend not to be able to get to it uh, right away. Yeah, I think you have to have a, a specific uh, lifestyle that caters to podcasting. Like, I drive a lot um, to and from right. work. It's just a long commute. And so that's my podcast listening time. I never listen any other time. So if I didn't have that long commute, ugh, I would never listen to podcasts either. So I don't yeah. blame anyone. And I, I mean, I, I cycle a lot, but like to get, because I don't drive because I'm mm. a, a weirdo at 38 who doesn't actually have a driver's license <laughs> but uh, but I do have a bicycle uh, but I don't want to listen to anything uh, even though I know a lot of le cyclists who do listen to things uh, yeah. I want to be able to hear a car uh, you choose life <laughs> For my own safety, yes. I choose life over podcasts. <laughs> That's a good thing. Yeah. Oh, man. So. All right. And so now, of course, we've been talking about getting to the Voices of Nine Cents. That's how this all spiraled back. Morlock M.A. Mandrake is going to be joining us for the next one. This is Sunday, August 23rd at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Eastern Standard Time. <laughs> Eastern. It is. It is early, all right? I, I, I have an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Um, no, I, Warlock Mandrake is a, a fantastic individual. He's witty. He's smart. He's easy on the eyes. He's got this stunning voice, right? He has an absolutely stunning voice. Uh, to me, it's the most impressive thing about it's him. Crazy. It's crazy. Composure and the fact that he actually can do uh, voice work um, mm -hmm. so that he can change his voice in very convincing and uh, funny ways. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. And I encourage everyone to tune in. I'm going to be sending out an email tomorrow about it uh, as you're listening to this as it's released, but also on the day of. So again, that is Sunday, August 23rd at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you guys want to get these emails, you have to subscribe to the Nine Cents mailing list. Otherwise, I'm going to be announcing it in social media as well. But either way, if you want to, you know, if you just, for example, if you just binge listen to this podcast, like a lot of you do, you may hear about this after it's already over over and the only way that you're going to be able to hear about this stuff beforehand is if you're either in social media listen on time or are on the mailing list again we're not going to spam you with anything it's only relevant nine cents uh rarely that you're going to be getting an email from us uh information so uh do so on the homepage nine cents it's a little email field with a submit button enter in your email hit submit and you will get this information so warlock M.A. Mandrake, get to know the Voices of Nine Cents next Sunday, August 23rd at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you have questions for Warlock Mandrake, if you want to know how he gets his voice that way, if you want to know uh, anything, anything about him, uh, his shoe size, shoot me an email, info at ninecentspodcast.com, and uh, be a part of it. Tune in, ask questions live. It's going to be great. Um... Okay, two more really quick notes and we'll move on here. Uh, Satanists on Satanic Cinema. We have an episode that has been released this last week. Finally!
finally, Amazon MP3 and iTunes got their acts together. Uh, you're going to see different prices depending on where you go to uh, check these out. iTunes is more expensive than anyone. It's because of the length of these episodes, they have a mandatory pricing structure, but Google Play and Amazon MP3, they are uh, 99 cents across the board, it doesn't matter. So I, of course, would like you guys to go pick these up, but I mean, yeah, featured guest uh, Aaron Kastavov down at the crossroads, Dorian Gray, he just released his book, Sin in the Skin. Uh, these are two wonderful Satanists that sat down with me to watch Rosemary's Baby, and the entire series of Nine Cents Presents Satanists on Satanic Cinema is a really fun, entertaining way of watching Satanic movies with other Satanists, commenting, cracking wise, and having a lot of fun. So again, Rosemary's Baby is out now, go pick it up. But, releasing next week, not not the week you're listening to this, but the following, so after the uh, Warlock Mandrake episode, I'm going to release Carnival of Souls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, we have two, one, and of course, if you're smart, you can already grab it, because it's out there. But, if you're not, <laughs> if you're a dummy, I <laughs> will help you. <laughs> but that, of course... Uh, Zaftig is on that. Magister Harris is on that. And we had a lot of fun watching this really interesting movie, Carnival of Souls. So uh, stay tuned for that one. I've got a trailer to be released the week that is going to be announced. Uh, So uh, stay tuned. It's going to be a really good one. Um, And then, of course, uh, yesterday was my birthday. And so I had a wonderful time. Happy birthday. Thank you very much. I like to spend my birthday different than virtually everyone I know. I started off by working in the yard. Because I love my yard and I love the uh, getting into your environment and, you know, keeping it tidy and clean the way you want to. Um, But I just had this really wonderful time of uh, mowing the lawn, edging, weeding, trimming bushes, uh, rose bushes and uh, vines and stuff. Watching my little hops sprout their buds. I have some cascade hops growing in my garden. And just seeing everything really lush and having the chickens play around uh, in the garden and stuff. That's how I like to spend my birthday. My nephew reached out. He's like, bitch, it's your birthday. Let's party. And, you know, he's like 23 or something like that. I'm just like, I'm not, I'm so over that point. Like, I don't want to go party. This, for I'm so lame. For me, this is all I want to do is spend time in my environment. Um, I, I manipulated this trashy ass yard when we moved in to something that I'm very, very proud of and happy to work in and sweat over and, and just, you know, get my hands dirty. It's just what I love. And so I don't want to go fucking party with you. Leave me alone. We'll do that some other time. Um, so he's a little pissed. I went over to my parents, which I think they inspired me to work on my yard more because their house is stunning the yard i mean they've been featured in homes and gardens with their oh, wow. flower garden and their vegetable garden it's insane and they had they used to have people do tours through their yard wow. okay. um and this was years ago when they first moved in but it, it's just insane the amount of work that they put into it and even because the way it's set up they don't have to do a ton of work to keep it going you know a couple right. hours a week and and that's it and so it's just it's aged there's a there's a heartbeat there's a pulse to this atmosphere that they've created which is crazy we were sitting down watching these uh little finches play in their uh, little bubbling water pool there were monarch butterflies like spiraling between each other throughout the garden uh bees and wasps doing their jobs and 
it just, for me, if I could imagine, you know, if if I could uh, just pretend for a minute that there could be a heaven, that for me is what heaven would be. Being in this wonderful atmosphere, having this earth pulse that you can just tap into. And I know how that sounds kind of stupid and hippy dippy, and I don't really mean it that way. I just mean that you, you, we are often removed from this this sense of connection as human beings uh, with our environments because of technology and uh, just time, you know, trying to do as many things as we can socially with other people, being in the city and being fundamentally removed from nature. There's a lot of reasons why we never have the opportunity to connect uh, with what it means to be human on this earth. Little moments like that, it, it, it comes rushing back and being able to just sit down and take a breath and feel it. It's fucking awesome. So that's that's how I spent my fucking birthday, which was brilliant. I absolutely loved great. it. Yeah. And then, of course, I came home. Like I told my wife, we're, we're paying off a couple bills. We had a car issue the other uh, couple weeks back. Uh, I was like, don't buy me anything. I don't want anything. I just want to take care of these fucking bills because yeah. I'm a grown-ass adult. And I don't need presents. I just buy things when I want them. Um, and she ignored me. I'm really glad she did. She got me this really wonderful Rode um, lavalier mic so I can do these uh, recordings. So it's just a little lapel pin mic that you can just oh, cool. plug into your iPhone and just oh, yeah. record. Like It's really great sound quality too. I've been using it professionally at my job. I just noticed, noted to her like, this would be a really great present someday. And she fucking went and got it. So I was super stoked. So expect commercials from me, people. Now that I have the means of having quality sound and not just this ambient atmospheric sound, it's going to be awesome. Awesome. So it's uh, stay tuned for that. All right. And that's kind of it. Uh, let's go ahead and start the show with a little nine cents letters. Though I am an active member, I do not speak for the Church of Saint. So let's begin with uh, the nine cents letters. Um, it starts, or at least the edited version of how it starts, because it's uh, pretty long. I recently attended a four-day class at community college. I spot this gothic, greasy-looking guy wearing a sigil of Baphomet. He sort of floated between cliques, you know, for different groups, looking a little bit awkward, and just sat outside the circle, close enough to be associated by anyone walking by, but not being engaged. Um, At some point, he gets up and sits down with a group of kids who are clearly uh, mentally disabled or deficient. I'm not going to use the word that was written there, just because I'm a little bit PC. (laughs) He butts into their conversation and starts making fun of them, specifically where they talk in a very loud way. So all of this is in public, and he's wearing this sigil of Baphomet. There was a, also, he had tried to sort of like talk to some hot girls, and or not even tried, sort of like hovered around them, and <laughs> <laughs> never actually made a, any kind of advance. Um, but so he's acting like this complete fool, and a mean one at that. So the author of this letter decides to take action. And they write, I went up and asked the idiot if he wanted to shoot a game of pool. He did. I start chatting him up and making him feel comfortable. Then I ask him about his Baphomet. He shrugs. I ask him if he knows what it means. He says he does. I ask him if he believes what it represents or if he just wears it to look cool. He says he believes. I ask him who the founder of the Church of Satan is. He says Aleister Crowley. I ask him about the Satanic Bible. He says Aleister Crowley wrote it. (laughs) Then I ask him if he's a member of the Church of Satan. He tells me that no such organization exists. (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) I say that's interesting. 
Uh, I lose the game on purpose. I'm going to ask if he wants to play another. He does. I put on some quarters on the table and start to rack. Well, I do so. I ask him if he wants to make a friendly bet. He tells me he doesn't have any money. Shocker. I tell them that it's all right. If he won, I'd give him $20. But if <clears throat> I won, I got to borrow his sigil for 10 minutes. I won. He handed it to me, and I asked who he thought the most, the most attractive woman in the room was. He indicated one of the girls sitting at the table that he was uh, creeping on earlier. I took my 20 off the table and told him that I wanted to play another game and walked over to the girl he pointed out. I apologized for interrupting her conversation and introduced myself. I then told her that I wanted to do something kind of odd. I asked her to put on the baphomet around her neck. I then pointed to the asshole sitting by the pool table and told her if that belonged to him. Of course, she didn't want to touch anything of his. I told her that it belonged to him. She didn't want to touch anything of his, so I gave her the $20 in order to ease her discomfort. I told her that she could give it back to him, but only if he approached... I, I told her that she could give it back to him, uh, but only if he approached her and asked, it for, asked for it himself, and that she should keep the 20 for the trouble. If he didn't come and ask her for it, then she should leave with it on around her neck and do whatever she wanted with it. So she agreed, and I gave her the 20 and thanked her. I then went over and told the asshole that the only way he was going to get it back if he went over and asked for her telephone number. He leaves the building without so much as approaching the girl. So that's my example of furthering the satanic conversation. And the author asks, what do you think about the scenario I mentioned? What would you have done different? Does furthering the greater satanic conversation stop with simply correcting misinformation? Or would you extend that conversation into media and other forms in a general way? Okay, so... Because he uh, specifically mentions the greater satanic conversation, um, this is in reference to uh, a concept that we created on Nine Cents that we uh, presented at the uh, conclave uh, in Washington, D.C., the 50-year Church of Satan conclave. And there's a website, greatersataniconversation.com, that goes over the entire thing if you have any questions about it. That is not okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask your opinion on each of these, but it, sure. it is in no way how I spoke about the greater satanic conversation. It's not correcting any behaviors. It's not even presenting yourself in any particular good way as a satanist. Um, <laughs> everything that I spoke to and. and I, I understand that not everyone, maybe I didn't put it together properly, or maybe there was some misunderstanding in the delivery. If you want to be seen as a responsible, respectful Satanist, you have to act like one, and openly mocking other people is counterproductive to that end. I'm not saying that there are situations where you can do whatever you want, it's your life, do whatever you want, but... If this guy ever finds out that you are in fact a Satanist and he was treated that way by you, he's going to extrapolate that every Satanist does stuff like that. They are assholes who have a chip on their shoulder that want to prove a point that they are better than yes. everyone else. And though I have actually met Satanists like that, there yes, are, they're out there. They are. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be associated with that type of Satanist. I would rather you ignore the situation and move on. Because the reality is, is if you are acting as a proper Satanist, people are going to be able to ultimately tell the difference between the hot topic pretender who has never actually, except for you through your questioning, identified themselves as a member or as a Satanist. Um, they're never going to know that he's a Satanist. They just think he's a goth kid or right. you know, just a douchebag of some variation. Um, 
so well, there's also the issue that the the letter writer's behavior, um, you know, for one, as you say, isn't necessarily satanic. I mean, he's just showing himself to be um, that he's going to waste an entire afternoon showing up some kid that uh, is clearly awkward and, you know, maybe some sort of pseudo-Satanist. But this kid leaves knowing nothing about Satanism. So if if he really wanted to actually further a at least uh, an understanding of Satanism, um, the behavior doesn't reflect it, and this kid doesn't even know. He never told them. He never talked about Satanism. He never, <laughs> he yeah. never said, "Hey, here's these other ideas. Um, here, you know, maybe this is how of Satan uh, identifies it, and has nothing to do with Crowley." So he doesn't even correct the information. So to me, this is kind of a waste of time for one. And if it's just sort of to um, if you spend an entire day trying to show up a, a kid who's clearly awkward and misinformed, yeah. to me that doesn't make me think you're um, an impressive person. <laughs> you know, uh, spend your time trying to show up someone who's better than you and see how you succeed. And even if you fail miserably, I'd have more respect for that <laughs> mm -hmm. for someone who's actually trying to engage in something difficult. You know, so if you're, I don't know, I'm, I'm not in impressed by this I'm not impressed by the the assumption that you have to be a dick to every pseudo satanist and as as that's con considering that that's how you show yourself to be a satanist in fact most of the time when I encounter this kind of thing I kind of uh, ignore it and if someone knows that I study it or you know am a member um, I'd certainly have a discussion as long as the discussion remains civil Otherwise, I'm not going to waste my time. I have better things to do. <laughs> I would go hit on the hot girl myself. I'd tell the goth kid to leave. I'd be like, here, you know, and then later on, I'd be like, she's a hot girl. And then I would, you know, because that to me, that's the greater satanic conversation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, I think it's interesting because it, it's important to understand the difference. In a scenario where you can either just live your life productively or uh, shit on someone, only proving a point to yourself, to no one else that understands it, every Satanist in every situation, in my opinion, should always choose the living their own life productively. Yeah. If it's not productive to furthering your ends if it in no way clarifies the the source of irritation to you which is that he's not a satanist and you think that he should uh, act like a satanist or understand what satanism is or stop pretending to be a satanist then do something to that end yeah. but this is i you're talking about this guy being an asshole you have turned into the asshole <laughs> like you have to be able to understand that. Take a step back. Look at your. Okay, so this leads segues perfectly into question number two. What would you have done differently? Uh, which Zaftig? In your case, you saw this kid walking around, uh, acting the fool, being rude to, uh, as you say, uh, mentally deficient individuals. What would you do to correct this, or would you do anything? Uh, well, if I happen to be uh, next to this person and I did sort of feel the urge to address it, I think most of the time I probably would have just ignored it. Um, uh, uh, although depending on how much of a, a jerk they were being to these kids, I, I have a, a soft spot for the for the awkward kids that are you know have some disabilities, and I kind of feel like if if I was there, I might have just 
like just called him a jerk to his face. Like I was like, mm. oh yeah, big man. What are you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're so powerful. You need to make fun of these kids, you know, who's, who have a lot of issues. But like even without that, um, to me, it's um, uh, if I decided to play pool with him or something like that, I may have tried to introduce the topic to just to see where they were at, because if he's clearly socially awkward, one of the draws for this type of aesthetic, the goth whatever he's the affect is um yeah partly for attention seeking but maybe it's yeah because he just doesn't fit in anywhere and um if he hasn't bothered to sort of look up what the church of satan you know levey's works that much or um he's just sort of drawn to these things it doesn't i'm not saying that he could actually be a satanist i'm just saying that um there are reasons why people are drawn to this aesthetic and uh, to me, it sort of indicates his profound shyness, this kid. Like, I actually have more sympathy for this kid, um, pseudo-Satanist or not, that his necklace gets stolen, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> yeah. Essentially, the letter writer steals this kid's necklace um, and takes advantage of the fact that he's so shy that he cannot go and ask for it back. I mean, that's a level of shyness. I think that's that it you know has an, an anxiety that it's pretty severe that someone takes your property and all you have to do is ask for it back but you you cannot um and so i think if he left he probably left feeling just dejected had lost property <laughs> because some jerk decided to take it from him um so I, I probably would have gone the gentler approach the only time i am uh harsher and clearer is when someone is being that way with me and i can uh, instead, sort of introduce the facts of something without making it seem like um, like I'm pointing the finger, like you're wrong, you're wrong. It's like, well, here's here's this here's this other thing. What do you think of this? It's a teaching tactic, also. Mm -hmm. You know, you, your students ask questions that are clearly uninformed all the time, and instead of saying like, "Oh my God, you guys are easy idiots," because <laughs> they're yeah. not. You say, "Well, what do you think of this?" and and so to, to encourage them to actually know about it and to produce thoughts on it. So that's likely how I would have approached it. Nice. I've, I've always had this connection. This, <clears throat> to me, this does not sound like college at all. This sounds like high school. Um, <laughs> I've always had this connection with uh, the people who have uh, been, you know, publicly shamed as losers or the geeks yeah. or the nerds and stuff, <laughs> because I've always kind of been in that camp, uh, either correctly or not. I don't, I have no idea because I'm the one living it. Um, <clears throat> but, and so I've always been the one that stands up for those people, not because of some sense of cause. It's just, it's, in my opinion, it's just the right thing. There's no reason to openly mock people. So yeah. I would have I would have gone up to this guy and just said, hey, stop being an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> These are human beings. How about you treat them like human beings? At no point, I don't think I would have ever approached the topic of Satanism when obviously this kid isn't. I mean, he may just misunderstand what it means and he self-identifies. There's just so, there's a whole range, but I never yeah. would have brought it up because the reality is, is once you start having a debate with someone who in their head believes that they are right, very, very often are they ever altered in that position. No, and in really. fact, if it starts to become <laughs> an aggressive 
conversation, they will double down on their position yeah. and carry their animosity from that conversation to future conversations. So you're actually doing more harm to the greater satanic conversation if that really is the goal here, which I don't think it is. I So there's a couple things I have. I think about this letter. First of all, thanks for sending it in. We appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad because I don't know if this was meant to be a real letter or not like i i feel like this was made up this is just my interpretation of it i don't feel like this is a real situation i cannot or or parts of it are real but everything isn't um i i I say this all the time all the time don't be a dick you don't have to be a dick if you really want to prove how uh authoritative satanism is then be a Satanist. Don't be a dick. You have no reason to mock this kid or, or to shame him. He hasn't done any, literally has done nothing to you. So you don't have cause here. Um, now, if, if for some reason he started shouting out hell Satan when he was doing whatever, well then approach him by all means, if that's what you want to do and say, look, I want to make sure I understand your position on hail Satan. Where is it coming from? What is your ideas of it? Have you read the Satanic Bible? Because you probably should. But the second that anyone starts saying, well, Satanism was created by Aleister Crowley, they know nothing. So either don't have the conversation anymore or point them in the right fucking direction. That is furthering the greater Satanic conversation. It is not shaming them. So what would I have done differently? I would have... I would have told him to stop fucking around with those kids because that's just the right humane thing to do. Um, that is honestly all things being equal. Uh, if they were incapable of doing so themselves, a, a lot of the times people think just because someone has down syndrome that they can't stand up for themselves. That's not the case. That's not the case at all. Yeah. I mean, it's just don't so pretend like it. you're some hero in world. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But they, they tend not to, like, like those kinds of uh, kids, you know, if they're sort of, you know, with different, you know, learning disabilities or, and, um, but the, the issue is that they tend to sort of give up, like, even though, like, many of them do express anger in a voice. They're just so used to being picked on in almost every situation that, yeah. and, and like, as you say, if this is college, at this point, like these are grown adults. Like yeah. you don't, you sort of have an excuse when you're in primary school or high school, I guess. Even though I still think that's bizarre. Yeah. Like in university, like like let's let's behave like an adult, maybe. Hmm? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> let's let's try that. <laughs> it's crazy that anyone. Then this is why I kind of think it's fake. Why anyone would some introvert goth kid would be shamed by his collective peers but then go and be an extrovert in openly mocking loudly these uh other people it's just not really the type of thing that happens in life if you're going to make fun of people you're going to do it across the board you're not you know you may not do it to jocks because they will beat you but you will do it to everyone else and so it doesn't really match the pattern of truth in my personal experience um but aside from that there is obviously a buildup of this individual writing this letter on how he wants to be presented how he wants other people to think of him how he wants us to think of him and i don't like what i'm seeing i gotta be honest if you want respect if you want to be uh seen as someone standing up on the right side of satanism it's not bullying other people that it's just it's not you're you're putting all of your time and energy into something that's never going to benefit you or Satanism. 
No. Do the opposite. Internalize <laughs> and, and move on. And you're a little bit of a thief. Straight up. <laughs> like, straight up. And a dick about it, too. And a dick about it. I mean, you're, you're exploiting it. his fucking whatever. So, yeah, it's just... No. It, that is not the behavior of a, a grown uh, Satanist, in my opinion. Sorry. And I hope that you can take this uh, professionally... I hope you can take this advice uh, critically and and take a step back and look at your behavior because I'm not trying to be an asshole to you. <laughs> You're not getting my necklace. <laughs> uh, I'm not trying to be an asshole to you. I'm just trying to be honest with you. And as anyone who has ever had any communication with me or anyone else where, who values honesty, sometimes it can sting a little bit. But what makes us powerful human beings, what makes us Satanists, is that we can take that criticism and we can turn it to our advantage and learn from it that is the most important part we all make mistakes we all catch ourselves in situations where we're not shown in the best of light we all say yeah. things we regret the reality is, is we can actually do something about it yeah. you can get that guy's necklace back or get him a new one and, and a, a satanic bible too if you really care what this guy thinks which it seems like you do then do something like that make the situation right or Go into further situations knowing that that's not the best way to handle it. It's not even a good way. So, that's all I have to say about it. Hello? Hello? Oh, is it on? It's on. All right. Hi. My name is Pat. And I used to be a smoker. I never realized the harmful effect of smoking until I lost one lung. So now I only have one lung. I spent all of my money on cigarettes. But now I found something even better. There's a place called I Satanist. And they sell Cetal of Abomit and LEDs. And I like to use the LEDs. I like to light them up in my room, cause I don't like the dark. I get scared, and it makes me breathe. And I can't breathe for that long, because I only have one lung. Anyway, they got a lot of stuff I suggest. Hold on, hold on, wait, hold on. <sighs> that you go down to I Satanist and check out hold on <laughs> and check out all the things that they have that's right I did say I Satanist alright I'm going now bye
Hello and welcome to another episode of Something Different with Heather Height on Nine Cents. With nearly unlimited access to the real information we all have at our fingertips, you would think that duping people would be just about impossible. Fortunately for the duper, this is far from true. In fact, it's easier than ever to convince people of almost anything. There's an endless supply of weirdos who take great joy in convincing the all-too-willing masses to believe in whatever cockamamie ideas they please. Not just to make a profit by convincing us that a product is new, different, better than ever, and ultra, but I guess just because they want someone else to know about the Illuminati FEMA camp lizard people overlords. It's a public service, after all, that people need to know. I have a friend who falls for every conspiracy theory. I mean it, every one of them. I asked him once why he even bothers, and he said, so that when it all goes down, I won't be one of the people saying, how did this happen? So, you just want to say, I told you so? Misinformation is no longer easy to spot. It used to be that guy in the tinfoil hat with all the police scanners broadcasting on a ham radio from his grandmother's basement. You would see him and be like, don't listen to that guy, he's crazy. Well, now that crazy guy has a blog, and you can't see his tinfoil hat because his profile picture is Darth Vader. And you would think that that would discredit him, but no. Like an ancient virus hidden in the roots of a rainforest tree, just waiting to be unearthed by an evil Japanese corporation, his opinion sits waiting for clicks. And before we know it, Crazy Bob's blog is all over the news. Internet savvy is the new street smart, and some of the savviest people I know are Satanists. We would all like to think of ourselves as the ringmasters, yet far too many of us, myself included, realize at one point or another that we are merely rubes. Sometimes it's fun to be a rube. I kind of like suspending disbelief every once in a while, don't you? I love that South Americans believe that gnomes are coming to get them and that they were kind enough to provide video evidence. South American gnome attack videos scare the shit out of me. I don't care. I'm going to be 46 in a couple weeks. Bouts of childlike wonderment are few and far between for me. And who doesn't like a good meme? Especially one that, although it may contain a few exaggerated points, mostly touts your opinion on a given topic, or passive-aggressively makes fun of your Facebook friends that you think are stupid rubes. As much as I want to, I am going to refrain from defending my pitfalls. In other words, avoid pointing them out, other than the gnome thing. I'm going to instead discuss some fun and easy ways not to be a rube. Number one, research, research, research. I know there are some who might not care if they're spreading misinformation, Crazy Bob for instance, but if you don't have too much of an aversion to all those pesky facts getting in the way of posting that article that proves that you were right all along, try looking something up every once in a while. If your excuse is, all there is is wiki, anybody can post a wiki, try a Google Scholar search, or better yet, go to a fucking library. If it's a current event, look for a reputable news source. This is the part where you pause me, finish laughing, and then come back. Are you back? Okay, while we're on the subject, number two, there are no reputable news sources, period. 
Responsible reporting and journalistic integrity is as dead as Walter Cronkite. Fuck the news. Fuck what they said on Fox and CNN. It's all bullshit. Number three, no matter how integrated into mainstream media they get, celebrity tweets are not a reliable source of information. Love celebrities all you want, but do not look to them for facts or guidance. I know it's very unlikely anyone listening is planning on cutting off their tits, refusing to vaccine their kids, or is deciding to become a fruititarian because some famous person tweeted about it. But just in case, I didn't want to leave it unsaid. Number four, try and refrain from knee-jerk reactions to headlines. They are never entirely true. In fact, they are mostly not true. In fact, the more outlandish the headline, the more likely it is to be a link to a clickbait site. Number five, don't read Crazy Bob's blog. And number six, if you must watch, listen to, or read news, understand that everyone has an agenda that the information you are getting is filtered through. It just is. This isn't some lizard people conspiracy theory shit. It's just so. And how much crap do you really need to know anyway? The most important news story you can think of right now would make no difference to you if you had never heard it. Except perhaps you would be a little happier. Or if you're waiting for an opportunity to say, I told you so, in which case you won't be happy either way. So thank you for listening to another episode of Something Different with Heather Height. Find me on everything on the internet as Heather Height. And I'll see you next week. British professor Hubert Lamb says that a new ice age is creeping over the northern hemisphere. Even then, it won't be as bad as the last ice age 60,000 years ago. Then New York, Cincinnati, St. Louis were under 5,000 feet of ice. Presumably no traffic moved and school was let out for the day. And that's the way it is, Monday, September 11th, 1972. Stay in the corner of a room. They're generally 90 degrees. Or you can listen to my segment, Militant Eroticism, at the end of every month on Nine Cents Podcast. I'll either piss you off or get your pelvis grooving. Either way, you'll be warm. Fascination is a binding which comes from the spirit of the witch. Through the eyes of him that is bewitched, entering fascination is a binding. Now the instrument of fascination is the spirit, namely a certain pure, lucid, subtle generated of the pure blood of the witch by the heat of the heart. So welcome to another episode of Unorthodoxy with Witch Zaftig. This is episode 12. We are going to be looking at uh, the Bible. (laughs) So I got a question. Uh, Someone had emailed it. And um, essentially they're asking me about the origins of Bible, um, origins of the Bible. And uh, the 
a person who sent this in uh, introduces it by saying um, all this weird stuff that's in the King James Version because King James was a paranoid schizophrenic and then <laughs> that it's badly translated and edited. Uh, and then, I didn't know uh, that. They, well, I, I, I'm not sure, entirely sure that's true, but this is what oh, okay. the. The, the, the writer of the question says. And um, so then they begin to ask a little bit about um, the Old Testament and the Jewish Torah, saying that they, they know that that's a Jewish text. But then they ask, and the New Testament is just mashed together by Saul of Tarsus. What other true historical insights can you give us about the Bible? Um, so the New Testament is not mashed together by Saul of Tarsus, a Saul slash Paul. Um, uh, at all, actually. So I thought I would give you all, the listeners, a bit of Bible Study 101. And what? one of the reasons I want to do this is because over and over in the blogs and the forums, and the Satanist blogs and the Satanist forums and the a Facebook group, um, I often, so often, I come across um, Satanists making claims about Christianity or the Bible that are completely factually incorrect. And so my position is, as a Satanist, is I don't care if you love or hate Christianity, it's neutral to me personally. That's entirely up to you, your feelings about Christianity. However, you should be understanding it for what it is, not what you think it is, or not what your anger dictates it is. So I wanted to sort of give this uh, Bible sort of context of where this book comes from and its origins and its varied origins um, so that at least you have a little bit of information and so that no one can tell me, oh, uh, Christians claim that the God wrote the Bible, and isn't that silly? Well, very few Christians claim that God wrote the Bible, actually. <laughs> They're an extreme minority, and most absolutely recognize that it was um, written by humans, uh, even if they may say, well, yes, but it was inspired by God. But, um, uh, but it's just one example to me of things that, as a scholar, annoys me. <laughs> and yeah. especially since it's quite prevalent among uh, first phase Satanism, the ones that are a little bit too angry and a little too anti-Christian in a way that dictates them. So my premise is always, if you're so angry at something that you are you know, rejecting it in these uncritical and, and, and unknowledgeable ways, like you're trying to debunk it with facts that actually aren't facts, then that shows me that Christianity actually has power over you. <laughs> if you, that means that it's it's still um, you know somehow relevant to you. Um, sometimes, occasionally, we come across like on the online forum someone who proudly claims that they burned a Bible, and I think, why? Like, did you did you fear being saved? Are you? <laughs> <laughs> it was coming after me. Okay. <laughs> yes. So then, to me, that means that there is this vehemence there, and you know, so if it has no power over you, then you shouldn't be proudly proclaiming that you that you burned it. And even though I know that, especially among members of the Church of Satan, uh, this is a relatively minor thing. It is not a minor thing in sort of the broader internet Satanism and people who are sort of participating in these forums. So this is just a bit of a let's correct some misinformation here. Mm -hmm. So let's begin with the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. So it's called the Old Testament by Christians, but the Jews, because this is their primary text, it's either the Hebrew Bible uh, or the Tanakh. So the Tanakh would be the word, or Torah. So Torah means the five main books. Essentially, this compilation of books this Hebrew Bible. Um, uh, it's an anthology, for one. It's not one author that sat down and wrote it. These are individual books written and edited 
and uh, probably written after an oral um, uh, tradition, uh, they're over a thousand year period. So here we have this collection of books that were written over a thousand years by Jews in different areas, some in Palestine in the ancient world and some within the diaspora. So where, because uh, the Jews had been ex exiled from Palestine by different uh, rulers at different times. So <clears throat> um, what you have with the main the sort of main books called the Law, the Prophets, and the, the Writings. That's usually how they um, uh, compile these. So Leviticus, which means laws, uh, and <clears throat> all the writings about the, the prophets and stuff. So these become canon. Now, canon is the word that scholars use, and even uh, you know people of religious uh, faith use, to describe the authoritative set of texts. So once they're compiled, they're put together in this particular way, these individual books this anthology, it's put together and it says, this is the Tanakh. Great. But what happens is there were other books, sometimes complete books and appendices and different types of commentary that were used by different diaspora uh, Jews, specifically the Egyptian Jews, um, that had other texts. And these particular texts are called the Apocrypha. So this sort of compilation of texts. So when you, when you hear someone say an apocryphal text, it means, well, the Jews in Palestine had a canon, but then the Jews in Egypt had extra texts that were part of their canon. Interestingly, these apocryphal texts were also used by some Christians, so the Catholics and the Orthodox uh, Christians. So nowadays, if you pick up a Catholic Bible, it will include, in its Old Testament, these apocryphal texts uh, that not other that some Jewish um, groups reject. Protestants don't have the apocryphal text. So my main point is Old Testament, very long period of growth and development. Most of these books, because it's an anthology, are written in Hebrew originally and copied and transcribed. And scholars evaluate them in terms of different types of uh, literary criticism, the way they would with uh, most texts. They look at the linguistics of it, the composition, the comparative. So if one particular text was written in one area in 16, uh, 600 BCE, then they may look at other texts uh, at the time in that area and what they were talking about. So the the archaeological evidence, um, the particular history that the facts or the fact, you know, the, the claims that they're making in this book, the socio-political context. So scholars of religion who are doing textual analysis are analyzing it they would most literature. They're looking for corroborative evidence. They're trying to see what that particular author was trying to uh, what, what kind of question the author was trying to, you know, convey to their audience. Because they're not thinking broad worldwide religion. Most of the particular books you can tell were addressing very particular in, uh, issues to their time for whatever it was. So now let's come to the New Testament. Um, first, we have to remember, and this is often forgotten by a lot of people, Jesus was a Jew. <laughs> He's this <laughs> Jewish guy in the, you know, around the time in a very, um, uh, a very, troublesome, active time in the ancient world, lots of different types of Judaisms happening at the time, different factions, agreeing and disagreeing what it meant to be under Roman rule, like do you kowtow to what they demand, do you fight, do you resist, um, you know, do you accept the, the, the you know, is it, because a lot of them 
a lot of them considered it was selling out, <laughs> you know, like we should be trying to reject their rule always and constantly. And others says, hey, we're not so bad. We still get to like, you know, have a life here because under Roman rule, they did allow for a lot of um, individual practice. So Jesus is at this time um, uh, living among this variety of Judaisms. And he's influential enough, at least, that his story is that people write about him later. So, and when they write about him, uh, the New Testament is also a compilation of texts. It's an anthology. And the Gospels, interestingly enough, were not the earliest books. They're the first listed in the, if you look at the chronology, the chronology, the chronology of the New Testament, the, how they're um, set about once published. But the four Gospels that are um, writing about Jesus's life are not the earliest texts. The very earliest text that we have is the first Thessalonians, which is Paul or Saul of Tarsus. So Saul of Tarsus um, has a conversion um, in his sort of narrative. Uh, he has a conversion and it takes on a new name because of this new identity, Paul. So Paul, um, so he's writing to the Thess Thessalonians. Um, uh, so in, in Corinthians, and so the Paul, Paul's letters are extremely influential in Christianity. A lot of people talk, I've heard a lot of the debunking facts, quote unquote, about uh, Paul who created, who invented Jesus. And if you actually read Paul's letters, um, you'll see how wrong that is because Paul doesn't actually talk a lot about Jesus. Paul is very much concerned with these communities that he's visited. So he's sort of visiting Corinth and um, Thessalonia. He's working alongside them. He's sort of talking about Jesus. He's trying to convince them. He's probably going with a group of people. Um, and Paul had never known Jesus. He was alive about, give or take, 60 years um, after the death of Jesus. And so, um, but his letters are uh, addressing these communities, most of them that he's already visited. And the reason he's writing these letters, the epistles as they're called, is to sort of correct rumors. And you can tell that Paul's kind of working out what Christianity means to him, but he doesn't talk about the story of Jesus like the way the Gospels do. So for him to actually invent Paul, uh, invent Jesus, um, would be very poorly done since he rarely actually talks about his story. <laughs> right? The worst invention ever. Yeah, yeah, just he's like really bad at it or something. And but what he what he does do is make it clear that there are other people who are starting to identify as Christian or Jesus movement, as scholars like to say because um, Paul was Jewish, um, and because he's Jewish, it means he's more literate than his pagan counterparts. And pagan just means uh, sort of polytheistic, uh, because in the ancient world, it wasn't, there was no notion that one person said of God, the deities was better, or they didn't necessarily deny the existence of, of someone else's gods. Like we have ancient letters saying, oh, may the gods of uh, your area bless you. And then the returning letter says, great, thank you. May the gods of your area bless you. <laughs> you know, this sort of mm, this. Very polite. Understand, very polite. This understanding that, that, that um, there's a pantheon of gods, different people are, do sacrifices to them all the time. Because there wasn't like this dogmatic dictation from these polytheistic type of gods. Judaism is very different in this way. It's actually an, an anomaly for how they interpret um, God. You know, as supreme as the only God that even deny the existence of other gods. So that's kind of uh, unique. So Paul in his becomes a, a Jesus freak. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's writing letters to these communities that he's uh, visited. And these are his... his uh, early 
early texts, and they've become pivotal because they survived. We know that there were other groups, Jesus movement groups at the time. We assume uh, quite a few of them had written texts, but we don't have them. They didn't survive. But we know that there were lots of other groups because there was lots of different types of Judaisms. And as Jesus is sort of an influential Jewish teacher, um, there were different types of Christianities, even if they're not known as that name yet. Um, And some of his letters say things like, oh, you... You Jesus movement followers over in Jerusalem, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> like, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Fine. Do, do your thing. I'm going to do my thing. Like, he's a little snippy at times <laughs> about what it is. He's working it out. His worldview is very clear. Um, Jesus is going to come back anytime, right? like right now. So his early letters are very no much shit, about... Don't shit, there he is behind you. Yeah, kind of. So his early letters are very much about um, how do we prepare right now uh, for, his, for him to come back. And... Um, Then you have another set of letters that are called pseudo-Pauline letters, which means letters that were signed as Paul. The scholars don't think he wrote them. Again, we can't necessarily consider these forgeries because in the Roman world, uh, writing under someone else's name, especially a teacher or a mentor, was very common. So some of the philosophers wrote about that. Like, you know, if you studied under something Flavius, I don't know. (laughs) You could then, if you were one of his students, you could write under his name. That was a common thing to do. But we know he didn't write them because the pseudo-Pauline letters tend to address a community that's already a few generations old now, (laughs) right? Whereas uh, Paul was right in the middle of it. So the pseudo-Pauline are sort of talking about, okay, so Jesus didn't come back. Like we... (laughs) (laughs) Addendums. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it didn't happen just yet. Let's just you know you know while we're while we're waiting he's a little late he's a little late he's still coming back he's just he's been delayed he's in traffic <laughs> it could be a, a tire thing it yeah. popped or so it, it the letters represent this discord and um, uh, of different then the different books reflect some of this uh, discord so. Uh, Jesus actually isn't technically the founder. People talk about Jesus as the founding of Christianity, but he didn't. It wasn't like that. It was this slow evolution of different types of ideas coming together, and you know, and it really doesn't become a very clear movement on its own. Um, you know, like cemented till like three hundred years later. Now, the New Testament canon. So the authoritative text emerges out of disagreements for varying um, Christian groups. So 300 years years later, we have a lot more influential people, uh, heads of state, um, uh, bishops that are literate, writing about things. And um, we can tell by their disagreements with each other and their letters that they are fighting it out uh, to which text to make uh, canonical. And because it's so rare to be literate in the ancient world, um, the idea of having an authoritative text, especially as they in- inherit this idea from Judaism, like is common. Like, okay, we, we, need enough, we need to decide which ones are the most influential, even if, and we're going to call it canon, these are the authoritative ones. And so what they do is they sort of uh, eliminate the ones that they feel are off message. They want to stay on message, to use an advertising term, I suppose, <laughs> something like that. I dig it. And and they eliminate the, all these texts. They have, they're talking about Jesus in a way that's weird. Um, they're talking about Jesus and how he likes women. And by this time, they were very clearly anti-women. <laughs> hmm. So 
and they don't mean like like sexually, just sort of like favorably talking about women who had a voice, who were preaching gospel, who were talking about these things. So the idea of a female speech as having agency and developing her own ideas, very heretical. <laughs> like, still in my house. Is still, <laughs> still in much of the world, actually. So the most influential guy, 367 of the current current era, Athanasius, who's a powerful bishop in Alexandria, sort of writes this letter and says, this is the canon, the 27 books. And, and a few people, of powerful people, sort of fight it out a bit, but essentially Athanasius' version um, maintains the canon. There were other texts at the time that um, were circulating, and they were sort of Gnostic texts. They were interpretations of Jesus that very widely, very, very... Uh, mystery, very esoteric, um, and those were hidden. And scholars think that they were hidden because of Athanasius' declaration. Uh, these are the only authoritative texts, and anybody else is, you know, a heretic and, and kind of dangerous. Um, so that they actually hide them, and they weren't discovered until 1945. So then it's called the Nag Hammadi Library. So these are Christian texts, though, and they were authoritative to some communities at the time. It was just dangerous to own them. So scholars are now still studying um, these texts that are almost 2,000 years old, um, that only discovered in 1945. Here's a fact that's going to blow your mind. <laughs> the New Testament texts, mostly written in Greek, we have about 5,000 Greek copies of the New Testament, and no two of them are alike. So each particular text, like we'll have these books, these compilations that either we don't have a text that survives from the time. We don't actually have the original parchment that is 2000 years old. So even by the time we have the oldest parchment, um, I couldn't tell you exactly, you know, maybe around a thousand years old. We know that they have been transcribed and translated and retranscribed, uh, you know, so many times that, of course, there's things that we'll just never know about the original text unless mm -hmm. we happen to come across um, uh, an earlier text. So, so when one of the things that makes Nagamati Library these ancient texts uh, so valuable is that they're they are. Um, written uh, sort of at the time and sort of freeze in time at least um, this text. We're not having a thousand years of different translations and editing going on. Um, so, uh, and then even apart from that, we have another type of set of texts, <laughs> and this is called the pseudepigrapha. So there's the canon text, the apocryphal text, these little outside texts of other particular Jews, usually in, in Egypt, in the ancient world. And then we have this pseudepigrapha. So these are even texts outside of that that are really, some of them are just fantastic. And Enoch, which has the, the watcher angels, the notion familiar. of the, yeah, so the, the notion of the, the falling angel, which is nowhere in the biblical text, um, where that Satan's a, a fallen angel. Like, why is this idea so prevalent? Well, it's because in one of these obscure ancient texts, which was, I think, originally written in Ethiopian, um, uh, has this description of angels that fall from heaven, which later on gets interpreted as Satan. Right. Um, so this pseudepigrapha is this collection of outside texts. They have all kinds of things, and some of them are quite uh, ancient. Uh, in terms of the King James Bible, I'm uh, not exactly sure, but I can tell you, like if he was a paranoid schizophrenic, uh, but I can tell you that every particular generation that has produced an authoritative translation, um, like every other translation and editing, because they usually change the the language, right? So the original Hebrew text in 
from Hebrew that are now into English, but it went from Hebrew to Greek to more, you know, to King James version to this now English. Like it really depends. And then, mm. and some of them have a, some of the other ancient, more ancient texts have a bit of Aramaic and a bit of Coptic, like sort of different versions because different communities sometimes then translate into their own language. So over the time, words that are used sort of incorporate local understandings, which, which actually gives scholars a very good clue of where it was written sometimes. Like, oh, well, they're using the Greek word for hell, and over here they're using the Hebrew word for hell. For hell. So then so then we can sort of gather that these particular Jews um, were under Roman rule, that kind of thing, because they're using these, you know, Greco-Roman terms. Yeah. Um, the, uh, so, in, so there is no true version, is my main point. Uh, most scholars all scholars that are actual serious scholars recognize that this is not, that Christianity doesn't rise as some monolith after Jesus to suppress everybody in the ancient world and then take over. That's not what happens. It's a very slow process. These books are compiled. People are, um, you know, talking about it, fighting it over. And then, you know, once it becomes canon, it becomes something else. And then it spreads across Europe. And then the Catholic Church emerges, and they have supremacy of those kinds of things. So it's a it's a it's a complicated process, and uh, not only is it a complicated process, it's also good to understand that the text itself isn't read by most Christians even today. But at the time, because so few people are literate, but the fact that it exists, it exists as sort of a an object as a talisman in and of itself. Like, oh, the sacred text. Oh. <laughs> Even if most people don't actually have access relying on individual therefore I have authority. That's how a leader is sort of presenting the authoritative notion to their audience. That this is, I have authority because I have an ancient text. And so the idea of scripture, the written word, is still quite prevalent in Western society today. We have contracts. I mean, they're just pieces of paper, right? But they're contracts that sort of indicate um, a legal status of the society at large. Like the written word still has a lot of authority. And it comes from this idea that they were so rare and that very few people actually could access their special magical language essentially alphabets, right? That if, if you're the only person that can read, you're the magician that can decipher these strange hieroglyphs. And that's how you have to think about canonical texts and how they emerged, is that the ruling powers were seen as special people being able to interpret this special knowledge. That's crazy. Oh, god damn. Thank you. <laughs> that's amazing. I, so, I mean, just the, the tail end of your discussion... It, it gives me an entirely new way of seeing the construct of a church congregation rather than it being a community coming together to collectively worship these ideas. It's literally a bunch of people who can't fucking read and one dude telling them what's in the book because they don't Pretty know much. it. They have no idea. Yeah. And so, Which of course, they put uncommon. him in a position of authority. Yeah, and it wouldn't be uncommon even for other groups. Like, the, you know, so, I mean, not just, you know, Jews and Christians. Jews were much more literate. The, the males, I should say, females technically uh, weren't allowed, although mm. plenty of them did. We know that. Um, but, uh, so the, but the idea that, um, uh, that the most of the population is illiterate doesn't apply 
as much to Jews because Jews, part of their learning was you have to learn the text for yourself and you have to recite the oral Torah. So the reciting the entire text, learning to recite the entire text by memory and those kinds. So, so they're, they're a separate case. But yeah. in terms of how religion spread um, at the time of, of, of Christianity, it was very much like that. Very few people can read and those that do have special powers. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I had grown up in an environment where we were aware that of the Apocrypha and um, some of the uh, pseudo, I can't even say this right, the pseudo-digrapha? Digrapha? Pseudo-pigrapha. Uh, pseudo-pigrapha. So yeah. I, I was aware that there were separate, and it's just, I mean, it, it, it should, I think, be a common understanding. If you're going to rail against something like the Bible, you should at least have a fundamental understanding that there's no such thing as a singular book that was transcribed. and I mean, it's, everything like it was it's all a codified collection a canon as you say so I, I think that's truly amazing I never see and here's the thing like I connect with those um uh Jewish myths from the pseudo die di fuck I can't even say it like the book of Enoch and in the fallen angels and stuff I I love that mythology so much like more than Roman or Greek or Egyptian or, or Norse like that's just my personal favorite um and so in order to, you know, sort of appreciate that, you have to be aware of, of the, the fact that there are so many other texts. But when you are aware of that, you realize that it is not the texts themselves that you should be railing against. It's the communities that's, that, that are formulated around them that are doing the bad things. And being angry at a book is the most insane thing I can think of. Right. Like, it's literally a... It's nothing. I mean, it's 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 words. I mean, how can you be so angry that you would want to burn it? I, I can imagine for those that may have grown up in very conservative and 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 and, and um, maybe even abusive Christian households. I'm not saying that all Christian households are abusive. I want to be very so most clear of them are. <laughs> but let's just say you were like, and you and the this idea of what's in the Bible has been, you know, browbeaten into you and you're a sinner if you don't do all these things. Like I can get that kind of reaction. Uh, but to me, still, the idea of burning the Bible is kind of like, well, if it, if it helps you for catharsis, fine, mm -hmm. you know. But if you're doing it because you want to impress other Satanists, like most of us are not going to be very <laughs> impressed. <laughs> like, well, you know, like, great. Like, again, it's, it has power over you. And to me, it's also a little bit uh, it's also very interesting to learn the history of a particular thing because then it does give you more uh, power over it. Like it gives you more knowledge so that when someone tells me, you know, um, <clears throat> like they, their attempt to debunk Christianity is about um, claims about uh, Paul and his invention of Jesus. And I can say, you clearly haven't read the things, you know, like to me indicates often their ignorance of the history of these things. Yeah. So what I'll do is I'll put on the blog um, the two main books that I used, and they're very academic books that sort of like uh, for the Old Testament and for the, the New Testament, and what the scholar does in each case is goes by each particular book of these canon and say, this is where it was written, this is what the issues the author was addressing, we know this because they make a reference to this particular ruler, um, or we found this text here, or... And, the, and so it will give you a good understanding of, of, of what it means that how scholars look at these things so that you do have, if you're interested, and they're usually introductory texts for um, undergraduate students, so they're not so advanced that it's going to be 
bizarre. They introduce all these concepts like canon and apocrypha and pseudepigrapha. Mm -hmm. They're not just throwing them out at you. They're going to give you an explanation of what they are. Um, so if... Uh, if someone who was curious in actually knowing what's in the Bible, um, these books will help you. And you don't even actually have to read the text. You can. I, what I suggest is that you have one of these types of textbooks that gives you a literary analysis. And then online there's a fantastic uh, website called BibleGateway.com that um, has all the biblical texts in different versions. So you can uh, write it in the New International Version, which is you can read it in that version, which is the most common now and plain popular type of English. Um, you can read the King James Version for the same verse. You can look up one verse and you can look up 17 different types of translations for right. this one particular verse. Um, and it's great. And you can even have it uh, read to you. There's a, a narrator mm -hmm. <laughs> in his sort of God voice. It's just one guy. <laughs> but like, so you can even hear it if you want to. So it's, yeah. a, it's an interesting way to sort of uh, correlate um, what you're reading um, uh, contextually about this text, and then go and read the text itself. If that, uh, if someone wants to engage in a bit of self-education instead of ranting about what they don't know uh, on a website, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I do have to say really quickly that uh, you wouldn't think that a, a satanic podcast would have a, a segment that speaks about the history of the Bible. But I think it's important to be able to separate the idea of of preaching a text versus examining its history and the reality yeah. of its formulation. And as human beings, as Satanists, one thing we have to be is continually studying. Satanism sure. is about study, not worship. And it doesn't necessarily mean just studying Satanism. We don't want to be ignorant. We want to be well-rounded human beings, which means we have to be aware of other things in the world. Uh, continually learning is the only way to continually grow as a human being and understanding the one of the most prominent religious origins, I would say is a pretty important thing if you want to understand uh, historical events from that time to now. Um, Especially in the Western world. I yeah. mean, you know, the Western world develops because of uh, ideas about Christianity. So it's enmeshed. So if you want to understand yourself and even the mythos of Satan, right, they're, they're entirely mm -hmm. linked about what it means. Like, um, and even notions of magic and esotericism because Christianity, different Christian theologians claim one thing and usually what gets omitted from that is then labeled as esoteric magic, um, suspicious sorcery. So part of satanic identity is, is, has all of these sort of kernels uh, uh, based in its relationship to the development of Christianity. So you're not just learning about Christianity, you're learning about Western history and the development of Satanism, the development of Satanism itself. Yeah. It behooves us all to know this stuff. And it's crazy cool too, man. I, I absolutely love it. <laughs> uh, where can the good folks listening find out a little bit more of you online? So they can email me directly at zaftigworks, all one word, at gmail.com. I have uh, the blog for the uh, segment, which is un unorthodoxyblog.wordpress.com. There's an unorthodoxy with which Zaftig Facebook page. You can uh, contact me or message me on any one of these places. Send me your questions. We're still taking them. I'll get through the list slowly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much. That was fantastic. Thank you. And for everyone listening, that's going to do it for another show, and we really do hope you enjoyed it. We would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let us know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. 
You can visit us on social media, uh, SayNet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, MySpace, uh, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere, actually not Spotify, um, anywhere online that you get content like podcasts, you can get nine cents. And when you do, give us a rating, give us a comment, let us know what you think. Uh, and of course, if you'd like to learn more about Satanism and the Church of Satan, don't steal other people's sigil of Baphomets, send them to churchofsatan.com. That's the free way of doing it. And educate yourselves. Satanic Bible, Satanic Rituals, uh, Satanic Scriptures. These are wonderful collections of uh, wisdom that we all benefit from collectively. And remember, the only way we're going to keep doing this is via your interaction. So, uh, interact. Thank you for joining me. As always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, being joined by... Witch Zaftig. The wonderful Witch Zaftig. I learn something every single conversation. It's wonderful. I am to please. <laughs> Until next week, Hail Satan! Hail Satan!